You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. Welcome to Domecast. I'm Jordan Schrader here with Craig Jarvis, Colin Campbell, Will Doran, and Lynn Bonner, all of the News and Observer. And today we'll talk about HB2, HB2, and more HB2. Uh, or I should start saying uh, HB 142, right? Is it 142? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and then of course we'll have a headliner of the week. So uh, let's start with what the new compromise bill does. It repeals HB 2, but uh, what's left on the books? Uh, Will, uh, tell us a little bit about what the new law does. Yeah, that was the uh, the headline that I think a lot of people were looking for was, you know, HB2 is repealed. And, you know, we saw that on some of the late night talk shows and some of the bigger publications uh, nationally that were covering it. But really, if you look at this new law, yes, it does uh, repeal HB2. Um, but then it goes on to add in a couple or add back, I should say, a couple of the more controversial parts of HB2. Um, so some of the critics of this on the left were saying that, you know, this isn't really a full repeal or a clean repeal. Um, the big thing that changed was uh, the bathroom part of it. Uh, we now are like 48 other states uh, have just basically no law specifically about who can or can't go in what bathroom. It's just, um, you know, it. there's not a specific ban or a specific, uh, you know, transgender-friendly ordinance. Uh, Washington State has a transgender-friendly ordinance, but they're the only ones. Uh, so we're like most of the other states now on, on that regard. The uh, the big thing that stayed was that local governments still cannot pass any sort of ordinance relating to uh, businesses within their borders regarding, uh, you know, employment protections for LG- LGBT people, um, or, uh, you know, public accommodation, discrimination protections, like in, you know, movie theaters and things like that. And that's what a lot of, uh, what a lot of activists wanted to see and what a lot of people on the left wanted to see was, you know, uh, cities and counties being able to, you know, make their own rules for that if they wanted to, you know. If, uh, and obviously that's kind of what got us into this whole mess in the first place was Charlotte trying to pass a local ordinance. And so, uh, you know, I don't think... People were surprised necessarily that those or the ban on ordinances stayed, but uh. yeah, in talking to the House uh, leadership, they uh, described a process where they got all the members together in small groups and figure out what their main concerns were, and their they pretty much uniformly their concerns were bathroom safety and uh, not letting cities and counties do whatever they want to. That the state's got to keep control over that. That's kind of a an ongoing issue that that extends beyond HB two, but it's uh, those were the two main points. Yeah, and on the bathroom safety thing, um, I, I think I talked about this on this podcast a few weeks ago. Um, you know, I looked into that for Politifact, and there's still a half dozen different laws on the books that can, uh, you know, protect people from others who are, you know, not, uh, you know, appropriately using restroom facilities, um, you know, those laws have always existed. They continue to exist. And that's what North Carolina had always relied on in the past before March of 2016 when HB2 passed. Um, and one one last thing that it is worth noting on uh, the changes is that uh, with this ban on the local ordinances, while HB2 just had kind of an indefinite ban, they were, you know, just flat out banned, uh, this new law says that the ban will be lifted 
uh, December 1st of 2020. So uh, there is an end in sight, at least for now, of course, you know, there's, there's no telling if uh, after, you know, on December 2nd, 2020, they could, you know, institute another ban. Um, but I think just politically, it's also worth noting that that is about three weeks after the next uh, election for governor. So that kind of guarantees, you know, as long as this new law doesn't get changed that, uh, you know, next time when uh, when we're having gubernatorial election, uh, you know, this should be still the status quo. So uh, some people live in cities that do have local non-discrimination ordinances. What happens to them? Right. Yeah, there were maybe a dozen or more cities and counties around the state that had ordinances um, for their own dealings. And, you know, not that necessarily a applied to, you know, the local restaurants and movie theaters, but applied uh, to their own employees saying that, you know, hey, city of Raleigh employees, you can't be fired for being gay. Or um, they also had some ordinances that uh, had applied to people who wanted to contract with the city. Uh, Raleigh and Carborough had that, for instance, said if you want to uh, contract with the city and, you know, get paid to do some stuff with taxpayer dollars, then you had to have discrimination protections on the books. Um, those ordinances were overturned by HB2, um, but uh, talking to lawyers, including, you know, kind of uninvolved outside experts, as well as lawyers with um, the city of Carborough, uh, they all believe that those ordinances are back on the books. Um, so places that had ordinances prior to HB2, since now that's been overturned, those are back. Um, the one big notable one is the Charlotte one is not back since Charlotte, I'm sure listeners will remember, uh, repealed their ordinance in December back when we thought that we were going to have a, uh, a repeal deal then. Uh, they went and fully repealed it, so uh, that's not back, um, which I think is uh, something that a lot of uh, people on the right were looking for, and obviously they got. So... Craig, are we alone uh, in doing what the legislature has done with this repealed deal? Uh, they, the, the changes that they made, uh, do these exist in, in other states, or are we an outlier now nationally? Well, kind of an outlier in terms of, the, of state prohibition of local uh, non-discrimination ordinances. There's only three states, us, uh, Arkansas, and Tennessee. Uh, all three of those states have been in, in, involved in litigation that's spun out of uh, out of the uh, those kinds of laws, and it really hasn't been resolved whether those laws prohibiting local ordinances are constitutional or not. Um, so that's kind of still an open legal question that's going to drag on for a while. But uh, you know, it's been controversial wherever wherever it uh, wherever it goes. Okay, and the uh, plaintiffs that are suing North Carolina over HB two were quick to say that they're not dropping their lawsuit just because this law has been changed. Right, um, the, so the question is of law is still there. Uh, so let's talk about the politics of this. Um, first of all, how did it come together? Uh, and then we'll talk a little bit about who's uh, who's for it and who's against it. But Colin, uh, this was all uh, a big surprise, or at least it seemed like uh, a big surprise that some, a deal was able to come together after it seemed like Republicans and Democrats were just way too far apart. So uh, what happened? Yeah, this was weird. And we still haven't really figured out the, the full sort of behind the scenes uh, of all of this. But, you know, a week ago we were talking about how the Democrats uh, had sort of fallen off the 
wagon as far as any sort of compromise went, that they were no longer being included, that there was talk of a sort of Republican-only HB2 replacement that was going to involve a RIFRA-like law that Democrats were very much opposed to. And that seemed to be what was on the table going into the beginning of this week. Um, And there was this sort of weird uh, press conference that happened. I believe it was uh, was Tuesday night. Uh, Phil Berger, Tim Moore gave a news conference about 6.30 Tuesday night to say, we've reached a deal with Governor Cooper, but Governor Cooper now says he had nothing to do with this deal and doesn't support it. And so we were all kind of left scratching our heads like, what on earth just happened and who's right? And there were some emails that were released but didn't really give much of an indication of what was going on other than they were considering this idea of what at that point was a bill that would have uh, allowed local non-discrimination ordinances, but only some ones that did not go beyond federal protection. So nothing about LGBT people or veteran status or anything that wasn't in some sort of federal uh, non-discrimination protections already, plus this RIFRA or conscience protection provision or however you want to determine it. That all went away sometime during the day on Wednesday. Um, there was... Uh, sort of talk that there would be some sort of Wednesday night session at the House. There were all these closed-door caucus meetings and uh, meetings among uh, parts of leadership. Uh, They really didn't give us an update well into the evening, but there was media camped out inside of a conference room well into Wednesday night wondering what's going to happen, are they going to make a deal? And finally at about 10.30 on Wednesday night, uh, Berger and Moore came out, came down to the press conference room and gave a very brief, I think it was like a two-minute press conference where they didn't take questions and said, we've reached a deal with the governor. Uh, the details will be released later, and about an hour later, the details show up. This is like 11.30 at night. All the TV stations have finished their 11 o'clock newscast. Most people are asleep. Uh, And then we finally get the details that, uh, A, the governor has signed on to this, the Republicans are on board, and here's the copy of the bill that they're going to be voting on the very next morning. So uh, all a very sort of quick uh, process once we got beyond the the behind-the-scenes closed-door negotiations and actually had a bill that uh, had the support to pass. So, uh, Craig, who was for this and uh, who opposed it? The words strange bedfellows got thrown around a few times during this whole debate. Yeah, that was, uh, to quote uh, Representative Sarah Stevens, she said... uh, you know, they, they knew going in that they had the far right and they had the far left. They were never going to bring them together. Uh, she pointed out that the, the North Carolina Values Coalition and uh, was it the ACLU or the uh, oh, Equality NC? Equality NC, Human yeah, Rights Campaign, right. ACLU were all against right. it. Right. So that made for some strange bedfellows, she pointed out. Uh, so I don't you, know if some of the pro HB2 <laughs> groups appreciated that term, but. Well, they may not have. Uh, in terms of the actual vote in both houses, it was a mix of, uh, of Republicans and Democrats. It certainly wasn't par- party line, and uh, the most liberal Democrats uh, went against their governor and uh, said they couldn't vote for it because it wasn't a clean repeal. It was just kicking the can down the road. And uh, you know, some of the more conservative Republicans who were never going to go for, for getting rid of HB2 in the first place uh, you know, were against it. So it was a mix. So... Uh, Democrats did, some, in some cases, cite that they wanted to side with their governor on this <clears throat> in supporting it. Um, so what was Roy Cooper's rationale for uh, going for this deal, which was actually uh, less favorable to his side than the one that he had rejected a few months ago? Yes. Uh, Cooper said uh, it wasn't the solution that he wanted, but uh, it removed uh, – it did some important things, um, getting rid of the language of HB2, uh, primarily, and um, sort of 
presenting something to uh, the sports organizations and to um, businesses that he's recruiting that um, sort of send the signa- signal that uh, North Carolina is welcoming. Of course, he's been um, denounced by some of the groups that called him an ally, um, uh, Equality uh, North Carolina, ACLU, um, Human Rights Campaign, um, vehemently opposed this bill, um, and some have gone as far as to call him a traitor. But he says that he is uh, for equality, against discrimination. Uh, he's going to work for that. Um, but uh, still, um, some of the other groups have, have not been appeased. Um, you know, he talked about um, this not really be about this being m- more than sports moving uh, the debate, but he did say that if um, there had not been an NCAA deadline, that Republicans probably would not have moved at all. So um, they were facing a deadline from an organization, the NCAA. Um, we still don't know whether um, what they think of this new law, but the state was facing having uh, seven years' worth of sports championships removed from the state or, or the state not being eligible for those. So that was, uh, that was a huge factor in all of this. I agree. I think that really came into focus in the last couple of days that this was really about the NCAA uh, more than anything. And I was thinking back over the last year as we were covering this kind of in the trenches and the front lines before the vote of HB2 and, and afterwards. I mean, I think we all had a feeling this was something big. It was going to kind of take over the year. But uh, it really wasn't until some months later when the sports people kind of woke up and said, you, you mean you're taking championships away from us? Right. That it really, like, ratcheted up tenfold. And uh, um, that but, caused some resentment uh, uh, during the vote. I mean, there was a number of uh, legislators said they, they resented that. We're being held hostage. You know, we're taking the coward's way out. Representative Burt Jones said they ought to take down the two flags in front of the legislative building and replace it with a NCAA flag and a white flag of surrender. And we've been hearing that on the right for a while, but now we're hearing a little bit of the same kind of talk from the left, right, where uh, basically some folks in LGBT groups are saying that uh, you sold us out for basketball. Yeah, the the people on the left who were behind the same air horn orchestras that used to uh, serenade... Uh, Pat McCrory, when he was governor, uh, went and protested uh, outside what is now Roy Cooper's uh, governor's mansion the other day. And, you know, from photos of that, you saw people holding signs, um, you know, kind of with some of the the same gripes that, you know, hey, you know, we shouldn't be bowing to, you know, the altar of sports here and, you know, saying, you know, we think that discrimination protections are more important than basketball games, soccer games, et cetera. Um, and so, uh, yeah, same kind of a strange bedfellows issue. You had a lot of people uh, angry on both sides with the NCAA over that. What was interesting is, you know, when you looked at um, what happened after HB2 passed, you know, we had PayPal leaving and credit suicing or freezing uh, jobs and, you know, these um, musicians and other acts saying they weren't going to come here. But it was when the ACC said they were leaving is when we first started seeing Republicans say, oh, well, wait, maybe we should repeal. You know, you know, last summer was also coincident with uh, the election. But then it was the NCAA saying, 
hey, no championships. I mean, it's it's interesting how that sports lever started to move things. Yeah, I mean, just the symbolism of that. This is North Carolina. I mean, it's basketball, yeah. college basketball Tobacco country. Road. doesn't take much more than that to <laughs> clarify. So what do you guys think? Do you think this will be enough for the NCAA to come back? They're getting uh, lobbied pretty heavily, Colin, as you wrote, uh, by the uh, gay rights groups to um, not accept this and to stay away. Yeah, so there uh, was a letter sent to them from, I think, Equality NC, Human Rights Campaign, and the NCAA, NC, NC, NAACP. I hate acronyms, y'all. I hate acronyms. Um, but, um, yeah, so they all sent a letter the to NAACP the... NAACP tournament is not <laughs> yeah. uh, coming back here. Yeah, the, uh, William Barber's basketball tournament, not going to happen in North Carolina this year. But the NCAA, however, uh, may be coming back. They're going to be deciding next week, um, and it's going to come down to, I think, the Board of Governors making a decision. Mark Emmert, the president of the... Inst- inst- <laughs> 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 We're going to have Just an give it up. Yeah. <laughs> The National sports College, group, yeah, yeah, the group of the, the, the group of the sports um, is going to be uh, deciding on this later. <laughs> Greg's giving me a cue card, um, but uh, they're going to be deciding next week. And uh, Emmert basically said uh, on Thursday night that uh, it meets a couple of the problems that they had with HB two, but not necessarily all of them. So it's going to be interesting to see sort of how they walk that line. Uh, because they did have sort of four main points about it. One was the bathroom issue. One was the issue of uh, local non-discrimination laws. One was this purely logistical issue of other states had done travel bans. So college sports teams for public universities uh, would have had trouble uh, being able to come out of their own states and come to North Carolina. And then the last one actually was not about HB2 at all. It was about Senate Bill 2, SB2, uh, that was from a couple years ago and has been uh, forgotten in a lot of corners, but that was the magistrate uh, law where the uh, state was allowing uh, magistrates who had uh, religious objections to same-sex marriage to opt out of performing marriage duties, and they felt like that was uh, something that was a concern for the NCAA as well. But I would be surprised if someone uh, from the state wasn't running this language past the NCAA saying, hey, is this enough? Um, And I think that um, one of our colleagues with The Insider had an interview with Verla Insko as Democrats were leaving um, the caucus they had with Cooper uh, yesterday morning. And I believe she said the NAACP, that Cooper told them the NAACP was... NCAA. NCAA. <laughs> NCAA. NCAA. I've caught it. The, uh, I think the we should NCAA just call it was, William Barber and the sports people and just forgo the yeah, acronyms. The sports group <laughs> was was okay with it. Yeah. And we did see uh, just before we started recording this that the ACC uh, has said that North Carolina is now eligible again for yeah. and uh, didn't tournament I, games. Didn't I hear that also one of the states that had a travel ban had lifted it? Or so, did I yeah. just so Washington that? State's travel ban apparently had this provision that basically said it went away automatically if the law was changed. And so the law has been changed. And I did see this was a report from a BuzzFeed reporter who I guess reached out to the governor and Washington State spokesman uh, who said that they felt like the repeal was inadequate, but uh, technically speaking, uh, the way they'd written the travel ban, it was uh, go- gone away all- automatically and there wasn't an effort to bring it back at this point. Interesting. Yeah, and I'm, obviously Washington wasn't the only state. I know New York had a ban, and I think actually some other yeah, northeastern states. Yeah, it was five state. different states, Connecticut and yeah. I think Vermont. I don't remember all of them, but there was five states, so it did 
uh, I think they're correct in saying it would have posed a logistical challenge because if someone makes the basketball tournament and suddenly uh, their state's not willing to spend money to send them there, then that becomes a bit of a problem. Yeah. Some big states, too, like California, I think, had, uh, had a ban. Uh, so uh, obviously it'll depend a little bit on what happens with these sports organizations, but uh, what's the election fallout for all this? Uh, do Does Roy Cooper really have to worry uh, from his left, and do legislators uh, have to worry about, both on the left and the right, have to worry about primary challenges from yeah. this call? So Cooper, I think, is probably the safer of the two groups because he's not up for re-election until 2020, and that's long ways away and lots of issues to come up between now and then. So, I mean, theoretically, somebody could come at him from the left with a primary challenge, but that far out, it's certainly impossible to predict. 2018 is a little bit closer, but still uh, fairly far out for an issue to to continue to be uh, reverberating. Um, there is talk from groups like Equality NC that they feel like they've been betrayed uh, by some of the Democrats in the legislature who voted for this compromise, uh, that these people ran on a uh, promise to repeal HB2. They had a lot of support from the LGBT community, people who volunteered for their campaigns and uh, worked really hard to help them beat Republicans, and, and then they supported uh, this compromise. Uh, so there there was talk from them of uh, some possible uh, primary challenges. Scro, uh, Chris Scro, the head of Equality NC, specifically named Joe John and Cynthia Ball, who were uh, first-term Democrats from Raleigh in the House and had voted yes as, as particular people that they were uh, having their eye on. I did talk to uh, Cynthia Ball uh, on Friday, and, and she basically told me that you know it was a hard vote for her. She would have preferred full repeal, but felt like in the political climate that was uh, going to be impossible under the Republican supermajority, and, and this was sort of the best uh, deal that they were going to get and an improvement over or keeping HB2. But she felt like uh, Democrats should be focused on uh, fighting off Republicans in the next election because that's how you get to what she and many other Democrats regardless of how they voted on this, uh, want to have a statewide LGBT uh, non-discrimination law. Um, and that's something that's, uh, I think they're correct in saying, is not going to happen as long as uh, Republicans are, are in charge at this point. Yeah, I think it, it's something that just a lot of people are interested in. I, you know, I don't think it just goes to necessarily the base. I mean, one of the you know, more popular articles on our website for Thursday and Friday was just this little thing I threw together of just a list of who had voted which way on this thing. You know, there was no analysis, analysis, there were no quotes. It was literally just a list of names and whether they voted yes or no. And, I mean, you know, that got viewed thousands of times by people who were, you know, just trying to figure out how their local representative voted on it. So, you know, I think that there there is a lot, um, you know, and obviously I don't know if Republicans or Democrats were looking at that more than any other group, but, uh, yeah, that was a... That surprised me that it got as much attention as it did. Do you guys think Republicans should uh, should also worry about primaries? Are there going to be uh, social conservatives who try to primary Republicans? Or I mean, I think that's certainly possible. Um, I, I do think the uh, Republicans from the most conservative districts, which particularly in rural areas, they mostly voted no anyway, so they're probably fine. Um, but certainly. Uh, the NC Values Coalition and some of these other uh, sort of conservative uh, religious uh, advocacy groups um, are, are not going to be happy with the Republicans that voted yes. And certainly there's potential there for somebody to try to run against somebody from the, the right. I think you know, the way districts are drawn, a lot of these people are not going to face a contested general election in any sort of competitive sense. But they could face... Um, problems, particularly in a, in a 2018 primary. Because remember, 2018, 
that primary is not going to have a whole lot of excitement in it. There's not going to be a presidential race where one party is trying to find their presidential nominee. Um, it's going to be a lot of, you know, not very well publicized local elections. And that means that your turnout's low and the turnout is really going to be your base. And the conservative uh, Republican base in that ends up being very conservative. The Democrat space ends up being very liberal. So you certainly might have an opening for that regardless of the circumstances. But certainly I think this could give somebody an issue to, to run on and, and go after an incumbent. And that vote is only about probably less than 12 months away, right? So we're going to start seeing some stuff. Yeah, it'll be, I guess it's, guess it's back to having a March primary again, unless it moves to May. I forget what the current law is. They keep changing the schedule. And of course, so. that also assumes that we don't have any 2017 elections, which I guess is kind of off yeah, the table Yeah, mostly point, off the table, but, but when it comes to the court system, you kind of never say never. Yeah. Well, I'm sure we'll get something at 5 o'clock today, that we can yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just because it's Friday, uh, from the, the courts, which we love. Um, I was going to say, uh, I thought in watching Cooper's uh, press conference announcing the bill signing that most of it was kind of shoring up his defense of attacks from the left. I mean, it was kind of stunning how quickly the left transferred their anger from McCrory and company to the to uh, Cooper. Suddenly he was the worst, uh, you know, betrayer that they have ever seen. But So I, th I thought Cooper went out of his way to say, if you could only see my heart, if you only could... Uh, you know, you, you just f see what I do next. You know, I'm going to be, uh, I'm, I'm pro, you know, anti-discrimination as much as the next guy. So, so he's a little concerned. He has to deal with that to some extent. So, what does this do for the rest of session? There are, uh, uh, you wouldn't always know it, issues besides HB two. Uh, what does this do for uh, freeing up some oxygen? I guess to mix metaphors for some other uh, hot button issues that uh, legislators are going to be dealing with. You know, I guess they can actually pay attention to the budget now. I don't, I'm not sure they made any progress with the budget and all of this other stuff going on. So that, that'll be a focus probably coming out soon-ish. Um, I guess we've got that raise the age bill that's got a pretty good, strong bipartisan push this year. So that may get some discussion. There's a craft beer bill out this week that uh, I think was rolled out either Monday or Tuesday and um, kind of quickly got overshadowed by HB2. But there's, there's plenty they can do. Uh, and the question is, uh, now that they've got this out of the way, are they going to uh, get just as impassioned about other issues, or have they sort of drained their energy between this and the special sessions, and uh, they kind of just pass a budget and go home and call it a day? Does compromise beget compromise? Do uh, Republicans now find it easier to uh, work with Governor Cooper, who they've been so much I don't at odds with? I mean, I think there's that? potential for that a little bit, um, but I also think this was an issue where they a very rare issue where they were forced to work with Cooper because um, they knew that Republicans had enough people in their caucus that were not going to support any changes to House Bill 2. So if they wanted to do anything at all, they had to bring in the Democrats, and that required the negotiations. For things like the budget, I don't know they necessarily do. Um, I think uh, they can pass a very strong uh, Republican budget, um, and assuming they get all the Republicans on board, which is not always a given, particularly in the House, uh, they'd have a, a veto-proof majority and be able to sustain, even if Cooper decided to, to veto the budget, which if they throw some giant tax cuts in there um, and not as much uh, spending on education, et cetera, that Cooper wants is entirely possible. All right. Well, I think we'll leave it there and uh, come back after a quick break for Headliner of the Week. Stay with us.
These are the sounds of someone taking their eyes off the road. Texting while driving is more than distracting. It's dangerous. Do us all a favor. When you're on the road, stay off the phone. A message from CTIA, America's wireless companies, and the National Safety Council. Headliner of the week, where we talk about the most interesting, important, influential person in this week's news. Uh, Lynn, who's your headliner of the week? I'm picking the NCAA. Um, I like how you said that. Yes, I said it very carefully. Um, You know, we probably would not have had HB 142 without um, the giant sports organization setting a deadline. you know, uh, Cooper acknowledged it, and um, basketball was the uh, was hovering in the background of all of the debates um, over the bill. So there aren't many um, organizations that can move um, the levers of government as efficiently as I saw. Um, the NCAA doing this week. I mean, when they set the deadline, um, the state had acted acted by that date. Um, you know, you see it sometimes when uh, the state's about to land a big company and they come back in to pass some incentive to try to lure the company here. But I've never seen it for a social issue like this. So for that reason, uh, I'm going with uh, NCAA. Okay. And it... Uh helps that there's some swing districts that have NCAA and ACC uh, events uh, in them, including uh, here in Cary area, uh, where they're chomping at the bit to get back some of their uh, soccer and other tournaments. Uh, so the NCAA is in the hat for headliner of the week. Will, who's your headliner? I'm going to go for another acronym, uh, the HRC, or Human Rights Campaign. Um, I th- they obviously were very anti-HB2 after it passed, and I think it's probably safe to say that you know, their activism really helped Cooper get elected and win the governor's race in November. Um, if you went to their website yesterday, the, the very first thing you saw was huge font saying something to the effect of shame on Roy Cooper. And so it'll be interesting to see, you know, if uh, if the wrath of this organization that, you know, had been focused on McCrory in the past gets shifted to Cooper now, or if, you know, maybe they do eventually, you know, come back and support him, you know, what, you know, if he does run again in 2020. Um, but I think that's uh, they've gone from a sure thing to a definite wild card. So for that reason, I'll choose the HRC. Okay. The HRC, the Human Rights Campaign, gay rights group in the hat for Headliner of the Week along with NCAA. Colin, do you have an acronym for us or do you have a different headliner? I am going away from HB2 and uh, as much as I would want to pick the uh, NAACP just to uh, mess with you as you uh, do the rundown of all of our uh, headliner nominees this week, I'm going to go a completely different direction and uh, talk about a different bill that uh, was getting attention before it got blown out of the water. And that is the craft liquor industry. Uh, They had a good week at the legislature. Uh, There's a bill moving through a Senate committee, got passage, I think the same day as the uh, HB2 
uh, replacement bill uh, without a whole lot of attention, uh, that in addition to the most notable provision uh, moving the Sunday brunch drink service back from noon to 10 10 a.m., also uh, loosens things up for craft distilleries, which are sort of growing in this state uh, right now. They're unable to do any sort of like samples at uh, street festivals and other events. The bill would let them uh, do that as well as have tastings in ABC stores. Uh, they'd also be able to sell more bottles to tourists who visit and take tours of their uh, distillery facilities. That's currently limited to one bottle per customer per, per year. This would up that to, I believe, around five bottles. Uh, and they'd also be able to ship their products out of state. Uh, they're getting some pushback from the religious right on this, but uh, it does seem like it's moving forward. So for that, going with craft liquor, something that uh, is very much on my mind as I go into the weekend after a busy week. Yeah, we need some craft liquor after the week we had. Uh, craft liquor in the hat for headliner of the week. All right, uh, Craig, are you going to break the streak and have a person as headliner of the week, or are you going to go with um, entities and uh, I'm going to go with a, with, well? a, with a living person and uh, HB2 related, put us back on track. <laughs> uh, <laughs> A key, we kept hearing a key part of the negotiations for this repeal bill was the business community, and we didn't really know what that meant. But there was a gentleman named Ned uh, Curran whose name showed up in the emails, these emails that were released about these final tweakings of a deal with the governor's office. And uh, then he showed up at the, uh, the morning of the, uh, of the vote at the Senate Rules Committee to urge them to pass it. He turns out to be a former chairman of the state of the Charlotte Chamber of Commerce, and he's on the State Board of Transportation. Uh, I just think he probably personifies part of this behind-the-scenes uh, deal that was the, you know, for which the business community was a was a key player. So Ned Curran. Okay, Ned Curran helping uh, broker the deal on HB2 and HB142 in the hat for headliner of the week. All right, we have NCAA, the Human Rights Campaign, Craft Liquor, and Ned Curran. Uh, I'm going to go with the NCAA, or as former Governor Pat McCrory called them, a multi-billion-dollar tax-exempt monopoly. Uh, they have figured uh, more in North Carolina politics than uh, anybody could have predicted over the last year. And uh, in, in the end, it was when HB2 uh, left us after a year. It was uh, probably more because of basketball than anything else. And the uh, NAACP basketball tournament has been moved to the <laughs> Hickory Grove Baptist Church this uh, week. I don't know about you, but my bracket is totally busted <laughs> in the NAACP tournament. Uh, uh, and uh, <laughs> there's just nothing more to say there. We'll, uh, we'll leave it there. And <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> And uh, for Craig Jarvis, Colin Campbell, Will Dorn, and Lynn Bonner, I'm Jordan Schrader. Thanks a lot for listening. We'll see you next week on Domecast. You've been listening to the Domecast, a production of the News and Observer and the Insider State Government News Service. You can keep up with the conversation by reading Under the Dome in the Daily Print Edition or online at newsobserver.com. The Insider is found online at ncinsider.com.